What up, what up? I'm Adrian Young. I'm Ali Shaheed Muhammad. And we are The Midnight Hour. And you are listening to Mega Late Show. Skirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's youngin' up in here. Um shit. I think we're good to go, man. Uh let's start. I guess we can come in mad casually like that. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, hey. Welcome back to the Mega Late Show, Tokyo-based podcast about hip-hop, art, and culture within Tokyo. And uh, yeah, I am Mega. I am a host of this and the producer. I'm also a cultural ambassador for the city of Ikebukuro, an international arts and culture city that focuses on diversity. Mm. So um, yeah, yo, Ikebukuro sent me the business card so I can look mad official. Send them, uh, send them. You em. know what I mean? I need those probably. That's fucking tight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like a tremendous accomplishment or anything. My wife worked for the city and she worked for that department. And because there is such a focus on art and culture out here, they have like a thousand, four or five hundred ambassadors who we come together every once in a while to kind of help decide on some of the art projects and some of the focuses. This year, obviously, it's not much going on. But I'm hoping that they gave me a lot of money to throw a function, like mm. a a family friendly four element hip hop function out here that has an emphasis on like education and fun. So right at the global ring, I can have like a little tent that, you know, foundation, the B-Boy crew is kind of like showing what they do and where their studios at. Then I've got some DJs that have a couple different, you know, a set of turntables, show the kids what they are, how they work. And you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Also some food trucks is slaying hairy sandwiches and shit mm -hmm. so if they give me money to do that that would be great but with the coronavirus happening right now i don't think any of that will be happening anytime soon mm -hmm. but yeah um so mega late show podcast episode number 131 and as i said we uh we out here in tokyo and so i always have in studio guests now every once in a while late uh recently he's been calling people and he he does like that project but the actual episodes that are numbered are always with guests who are in studio from the biggest names like marley mall to like guys who are rappers but haven't even put out an album yet so today i, I got my brother here with me who is one of the founders of the mega late show podcast he's the s in mls mega late and steez so steez what's up man Domo, Domo, we in the building, 131. What's up, y'all? How you doing? It's let, good to be here. Y'all hear my coffee. Um, let us know what you do now, Sound Giggy. Yeah, Sound Giggy. Um, uh, doing a lot of, you know, filmmaking here and there, sound recording. That's my main gig, and then I do some acting as well. And uh, I'm trying to get into sound design, but slowly but surely it's happening. And some camera work and some editing. So, yeah, just freelancing off, off the chains, basically. Hey man, I, I um, I'd also like to emphasize that you have made a variety of films. You've worked on a few with other people. You more most recently had your uh, documentary about some of the uh, flora and fauna and wildlife in Guam that was uh, played with at, at like a Guam Film Festival, Guam right? Film. Yeah, Guam. Congratulations Film to you, man. That's super dope. Thank you, thank you. I watched that whole thing twice. The first thank time you, I watched man. it with my daughter, I was like, "This is really good." Jet. He's talking about all these birds in Guam, <laughs> like <laughs> ones that are like, you know, they were they're almost they are almost extinct almost, because yeah. of Super because close. of, you know, um, human intervention. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, that's really good, man. Yeah, it's wild because it's the second second bird in history to go from extinct in the wild to to getting back on endangered because they took them out. They're extinct. And now they've repopulated the cocoa bird or the Guam rail in English. 
Um, not on Guam yet because we still have the brown tree snake, but there's a small island south of Guam, like a mile away, right. and a bigger island north of Guam that they're starting to repopulate mm. and build. And also, America's kind of working with them. They're sending some to the zoo because they only started with 13 birds. Wow. And um, they're trying to like spread out the genet genetic diversity so they can't just... Right just make them mate you know go crazy so they're really trying to like strategically plan it out but it's looking really good for the cocoa bird so really happy about that yo shout out to the cocoa bird and and but not to go on to the topic too much but um it was the, they they went extinct because of uh uh introduction of invasive species of, the of brown snake? tree snake yeah okay which was brought on from the military ship from papua new guinea like in the 40s and Guam was a bird paradise where there was no pred predators at all. Mm -hmm. So some birds went extinct, so they're never going to come back because the brown tree snake just straight rolled up and ate them like, like it ain't no thing because, mm. you know, birds didn't know nothing. Mm, right. They were ignorant to the fact that this motherfucker is about to eat them. That's how it works, though, with colonization and imperialism, right? Yeah. It's right. Like, Yo, check out these guys. What, what do they got over here? What is this? And it's like, oh, shit. Smallpox. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. All these blankets are great. They don't feel exactly like, you know, buffalo high. This is a little different. It's like, oh, damn, everybody is dying. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, shout out to uh, the brown snake. I don't want a demon. That's not on you, fam. It's not on you. No, it's not yeah, on not you on for real. real. Yeah. It's not on you. It's yeah. the they were brought here. That's yeah. by colonizers. Right. Yes. Absolutely, man. So uh, yo, shout out to you for that, Steve's man. Uh, and man, um, I've got a I've got a guest here. Our guest Jed Axel is a person that I've met um, maybe a handful of times. Um, I think every single time was at Harry's Sandwich Shop in Harajuku. Shouts out to Harry. Shout out and to Harry's, Harry's Sandwich yes. Cafe. Yeah, and, and Emo. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to put some shine on Harry's Sandwich Shop a little later in the podcast. But I met you there, and um, in our interactions, uh, I learned that you also you do some modeling. That's right. And then uh, I've seen you on some modeling uh, stuff. We became friends on Facebook. I've seen some of the modeling gigs that you've participated in and i've also learned about um your interest in japanese music and how you had a japanese music podcast before yeah that's right okay. uh, for about three years uh, back in london uh, which is where i'm from uh i had this podcast japan alternative sessions a couple other friends of mine that i had met online um we were in like a japanese music facebook group and one day one of them hit me up and he was just like yo we're all in london why don't we get together and do something uh, we ended up doing it for three years, 70, 80 episodes, depending on nice. what qualifies as an episode. Um, interviewed a few cool, interesting people, you know, people out here, journalists, producers, people like that. Um, and that was very much my, like, impetus to come out here to Japan was, like, I was listening to all his music um, and, you know, interacting online with a lot of artists and, you know, just trying to get more information or try and get hold of promotional materials, whatever, you know, initially all for the podcast, but then that just became my thing. That was what I was uh, into. That's really interesting. Uh, at, at Harry's, uh, during one of the collusion events that Late used to throw where people could just jump on and play music, you played like a, a set of music and it was all like Japanese vibes, but it was not, I, it, well, to me, to my untrained ear, or, uh, you know, I'm not knowledgeable about the various genres in Japanese music scene. It sounded kind of like all old 80s, 70s city pop funk type of vibes. Yeah. What, what was kind of the focus of the podcast when it comes to Japanese music? I mean, the podcast, like we would play literally anything from like 
random obscure punk bands whose like promo CD ended up in my lap to like the most mainstream of J-pop. Um, you know, it was really like no limitations in terms of that. That DJ set was just like, I wanted to play something that, you know, I knew people would enjoy, something that was just funky, something people would want to dance to. Mm. Um, and like at the moment, you know, that city pop sound is like really in. Uh, people have been really into that for the last few years. YouTube algorithm mm. really did wonders for like Takeuchi Maria and that whole crew. I was just so. listening to her this morning thanks to the algorithm. I, see, I thought I was fresh. I was like, oh man, my little <laughs> clicking on Japanese funk albums and, and weird Japanese noise music led me to City Pop. I'm the only person who listens to City Pop. <laughs> this shit is dope. I remember hearing this on like bubblegum crisis like right, that right. sound you know yeah, yeah. Oh, but uh, there's like an explosion of city pop like a, or i should say like a resurgence of its popularity I mean, basically anything the youtube algorithm is going to throw at you and recommended you know those like maria takeuchi taiko uniki uh, minako yoshida tatsuro yamashita toshiki karamatsu all that stuff like yeah. all of those albums got reissued in the last couple of years okay like somebody at warner uh you know, or Sony or whoever, like, has definitely kept their finger on the pulse. And they know, um, you know, people, a lot of DJs, you know, they come out here just to dig, you know, like a lot right. of the Japanese versions of records, you know, they have the exclusive bonus tracks and stuff like that. And I think that kind of spread into like, well, you know, what were people listening to here? What was in then? And like, honestly, I get the impression um, that a lot of this city pop stuff wasn't, particularly hot in like the Shoah era either um you know that stuff's cool and like people were definitely feeling it but it's like i you know speaking to some like older japanese people who were like really into that scene a lot of them were like huh how do you know this stuff yeah. like yeah we you know this was cool like we were into this but like this was not you know the stuff that like was getting regular sure. airplay in the clubs and stuff um you know people were listening to like Kiyoshi and like you know more um I mean you know I suppose it's the more mainstream stuff it's the stuff you hear in snack bars if mm. you ever go into one of those in Tokyo you know there's always gonna be some salarymen there's a spot down in Shinbashi that I've forgotten the name of uh that had like a, a huge record collection of like Shoah era mm -hmm. and like city pop music. I may have been to that spot is it a spot like inside the walls are plastered with all pop like pop idols and yeah. pop music and it's kind of got like this 1950s diner aesthetic that, yeah, yeah, that's the i've spot. been there before yeah that's yeah, really yeah. dope um i forget the name too but i i i'll look it up later maybe um, we shouldn't because that is like a real gem but we just tell each other you know that, like, yeah, word, word, word. You know, and like, like when i was there um i was definitely the only foreign guy in there and, likewise likewise yeah. and like the people that were kicking it there like that was clearly like their spot like they go there all the time um, and they sing along to every single song. And that was how I knew that I was kind of like a, a bit of a, an outsider on that one is like I played uh, Nakahara Rie uh, was the song. I like how you're bombing us with all of these names. Like earlier, he just gave us like 10 <laughs> names in succession. I was like, oh, yeah, all of them. Of course, I'm familiar. People must feel like that when I start talking about like weird niche underground hip hop shit. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Um, I was playing this Nakahara Rie joint, uh, which uh, was a sentimental hotel. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to impress all these, like, all the Japanese people. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to be like, yeah, I know my <laughs> shit. I'm, I'm not basic. Like, you know, this young gaijin's, like, coming for you. And then 
They're like they like were singing, they were singing along to like every single song, and then as soon as my one dropped, like they all just sat down and waited for the song to end. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, here we go. So it's like it's like you think you're really hitting them with a deep cut, but you're really just hitting them with like no diggity. And it's like, <laughs> ah, all right, we know no diggity. You know, we're 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 okay with this, but I, I mean, if you're, if you're not singing along to no diggity, like. That's on you. Low key, I dislike that song tremendously. Oh, what? Yeah. Uh, no, it was like uh, I remember at the time that it came out, it was like inescapable. It was just playing played everywhere, and I, I used to get kind of irked with that. And maybe it's like like an early type of millennial approach to to something. Like I just when things become really popular, I just tend to kind of distance myself from. Yeah. yeah, like my like. Today I put on Triumph by by the Wu Tang Clan, yeah, yeah. and I, I put it on. And that's like the first time I've heard that song in years because it got so popular. When you go to a bar, it's like if there's a jukebox or something, it's like, oh, we're going to play Triumph. And I was like, what happened to Bells of War? Is that, there's that mythologizing element as well. Where, you know, people talk about you know that first verse. You know, that I bomb atomically. Yeah. Like people were like, you look in the YouTube comments and people talk about like, oh, yo, like Inspector Deck. Like, you know, he like changed the world with it. And like, yeah. this is a fire verse, but like, it's a verse. Yeah, right. You know? Um, and I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think there was like a, a desire to like make it more than it really was. Sure. I, I think um, maybe I shouldn't even bring it up so, so we stay on topic here, but I, I, I think a, a lot of um, that era especially fans that were were not necessarily making music or participating in the functions people who were listening to 90s east coast boom bap type of hip-hop they're the most nostalgic for for hip-hop and you know keep it real hip-hop but a lot of those guys never followed it underground and kind of saw the progression of things so there is this kind of mythologizing that has been naturalized even within modern pop popular rap discourse about this era and it being kind of untouchable or like the greatest era and, and i'm with you like that's a fire incredible verse and one of those verses where it's like you know tell me a tell me one of the dopest verses in hip-hop that's one that you might fall onto easily but at the same time it's like ghostface verse on that track is dope too and it's like you know yeah, it's yeah. like everybody was dope on that track but you know he was on the wall like spider-man and he runs down and catches old dirty bastard so you know we remember that <laughs> but, but 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 uh to bring it back to um you know japanese uh music and especially city pop um how did you find an interest in this music because it's not it okay I, I i can't say i'm too knowledgeable about like kind of uh, any any of the waves in popular japanese music or even if it was popular in the uk i have no idea but it doesn't seem like something that you can just easily fall into no i absolutely um i mean i i was always a weird kid like you know i was like probably like 12 13 years old and i was like listening to the Mars Volta. But your name's like Jet Axe, so you're going to be fucking <laughs> weird, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's Shouts out to my parents. So yeah. They are very cool people. Um, but, like, I was always trying to, like, listen to, you know, um, bump in the Mars Volta or I'm listening to The Roots or whatever. And I, I got very, like, big-headed, I think, about the kind of music I was into because no one knew the shit I liked when I was, you know, 13. I'm sure, like, adults were, like, you know, obviously those artists are legendary yeah. there's huge artists but like it's 13 year old british kids listening to all this progressive rock and yeah. stuff and i think 
going from that, you know, I was like, when I became like more of an online person, um, you know, there was a desire to like pursue it further and actually see what, um, you know, what, what's, what else is going on outside of that immediate mm -hmm. Western music bubble, you know, because everything that is hot in the US like gets airplay in the UK. Um, and, you know, if something really, really blows up in the UK or Canada, like it gets airplay in the States, it gets airplay here, like whatever. Um, but, you know, there's a whole world of music out here. Um, and, you know, I couldn't tell you anything about like the music scene out in Kyrgyzstan. Um, and I'm sure they got some like dope shit out there. Indeed. But, you know, like Japan is just one of these things that like for an awkward, nerdy 13 year old, like I think there is a natural allure to that, mm. you know, oh, like, well, you know, Japan, they got like this whole different weird thing going on and this is what they like. Um, I guess at some point I must have stumbled across like a Shinaringo record or something um, and been like, oh, yo, this is dope. Like, I want to learn more. Mm. And then just as time went on, you know, it's kind of listening to whatever I could get a hold of in terms of podcasts or, you know, uh, DJ sets or, you know, whatever is on YouTube. Uh, and then, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of meet people online who, you know, older people who were into the shit I was into, you know, around like what, 2004, 2005, like, I would have been 13 in 2005. So 2005, you're like, that was the year that like Demon Days by Gorillaz came out and that had mm. an MF Doom verse on it. Mm, so right. I was like, oh, yo, Doom, like this guy's dope. Like, you know, and I, I'd had like, I think I had The Mouse and the Mask, like that record with Danger Mouse. Nice. And I was like, oh, I, I saw, you know, the Mad Villainy cover at like HMV. I bought that and I got into that. And then because of that, like people started kind of respecting my opinion musically online, even though I was like, little kid um and then those weirdos on the internet you know were very quick to be like oh yo you should check out like soil and pimp sessions who are you know great mm. japanese jazz band mm. and they were like playing a set at the london roundhouse like the day before i saw the mars volta there and it was like that whole thing kind of just naturally i think evolved from there so you were on like uh forums like web yeah. forms up yeah, yeah i remember yeah. those days like Back in those days. Yeah. I, I got a really interesting story that just happened with an old forum mate, right? Because um, huh? I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm older than you. I'm 37. And so I was already kind of an adult when the internet became, well, I was like 16 when the internet started becoming something that people could have at their house and, right. and use for more than, you know, I don't know, looking up a book title or, you know. And so like uh, when the when I was about 19, I started going on these forums because yep. I was already interested in the strange music. And uh, one of the kind of genre, the subgenres of hip hop that I was interested in was like experimental art, rap, avant garde, you know, of all varieties. So I ended up on like the Anticon, right. uh, the Anticon forums. And, you know, after being on there for years, I started to become a moderator. And, you know, like we built a very small niche community of people all around the globe. And a couple weeks back, I saw a post by uh, on this hip hop subreddit about a vinyl subreddit. Somebody posted like an original company flow, Fun Crusher Plus, uh, Fun Crusher Plus. And then he put the same name I saw posted like Buck 65 Square, original vinyl pressings. And then like Melancholy Gypsy. So I was like, I clicked on it. And I was like, man, this guy's fucking dope. And then I noticed he was like in Tokyo. So, OK, bet. 
let me reach out to him. Maybe we know somebody. Maybe we know have mutual friends, or maybe we know each other. No, we didn't. But I decided I decided to invite him to the podcast, right. and I told him like, uh, my my homie MC Buddha is coming through. He's like, oh, I just met this guy MC Buddha walking around like. I forget where he was at, um, but walking around a couple weeks ago. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's really dope. Like, so you guys know each other. And then when he got in here, we started talking about Anticon. It turns out I've known this guy for like 15 years <laughs> from the web, like the website. Like, I remember his avatar. We've had exchanges. And this this fool is living like in like Machida or something. Just out here in Japan, listening to weird ass wow. rap music. Uh, Tokyo does that, though. Yeah. Tokyo has this almost mystical power about it where even though there's like 30 something million people in this city like you seem to have these encounters with people that are like incredibly coincidental yeah. to the point that you're like you know was, was there were there forces yeah. at play yeah, that like yeah. allowed this to happen mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm completely a skeptical person like I, I don't believe in any kind of supernatural but like it keeps happening yeah over and over and over again um even like uh Obviously, the listeners can't see, but I'm wearing a T-shirt of a Japanese band called Daljob Step Club. Um, and I was wearing this shirt out in Shimokitazawa, like waiting for my friend uh, to get out of the station. And the lead singer of Daljob Step Club like comes out of the station and we like stop and make eye contact and we stare at each other for like we stare each other down from like across the like at the time construction station thing. And he's clearly looking at me like, how does this gaijin, like, why is this gaijin wearing my t-shirt? Right. And I'm looking at him like, is that is that the singer from Daljob Step Club? <laughs> Eventually, I'm like, yo, Shingen. I'm like, okay, I'm going to say something. I'm like, yo, Shingen. And he, like, gives me this, like, he looks so happy. Like, he's like, oh, my God, like, this is actually, We've like. We've got fans. We've got fans. <laughs> like, because, you know, this isn't, like, a major band. They're pretty right. well known now. They've done pretty well for themselves. Um, <laughs> but, you know. For a random foreigner to just be hanging around, like, wearing this T-shirt, and then, like, for him to spot me and be like, yo. <laughs> um, and, you know, at the time, I wasn't really spending time in Shimokitazawa. I was living out in Kanagawa, so I didn't really go out there often. Um, and, yeah, no, you know, we took a selfie together and everything, and, you know, he, like, oh, tweeted dope. about it. And then it was, like, when he tweeted about it, and I suppose this is how dense the, like, music scene in, um, in Shimokita is like one of the guys from public musume which is like a rap crew out in tokyo uh had like replied like oh yeah yeah i saw him waiting around outside the station <laughs> i'm That's like oh yo shouts out to public musume <laughs> man uh, I, yeah i gotta agree there's there's this really strange kind of like a, it's almost like a strange attractors like you just i kind of get pulled in a certain direction end up you know seeing somebody that, that you you it's really kind of uh, serendipitous. Mm. My coworker um, that I, I work for a small independent um, T Akaiwa, you know, um, company, and we've got about ten English teachers. Two of them, Dallinger, you you know, Dallinger, yeah. Dallinger, um, also weird underground hip hop head. He's the first person to train me. Gives me his rap CD, and like we're both on the same wavelength from the Bay Area. Gives me his raps, uh, his rap CD, his production CD, and then a couple years later, another cat who's made music with underground rappers from Hawaii that I used to rock with when I like that I knew in when I was in high school, and these are like 
cats that are world famous, Damn. but probably only ab- amongst like 5,000 people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so it's just like, wh- how have you made tracks from them? And we just happen to both be in Tokyo working for this extremely small, you know, family run business, just 10 foreigners there. And we, we, we've no, we have mutual friends. It's, it's really dope how that works out. Seeing famous people and all that. But. Yeah, man. Um, I, I'm kind of fascinated. And then the second part of the podcast, I would like for you to hit me to some of the type of Japanese music that you think is really strange and interesting. Because I think that, you know, um, there's something there's something kind of interesting about Japanese music just because of kind of the material conditions in which, like, they got a music scene. You know, I was watching this history of Japanese music YouTube video, and it's just like an acapella singing group, right? Yeah. And they start like 800 BC, and then it jumps to like, you know, like it gets more contemporary. But the switch from pre World War II to post World War II is like shocking and immediate, right? And I guess because, uh, and, and I'm just projecting, I, I haven't done any of like any real research on this, but uh, I'm assuming that, you know, because of the Constitution and the way that the world, uh, the war happened, you have this extremely homogenous, insular, you know, country that is centuries old, and all of a sudden they're subjected to all this Americanized culture. And it they're subjected to it, but it's not like hegemonically enough to get them to switch their language or anything right Right. and so you have this variation of western culture that's emerging in japan and some of it is like you know just kind of carbon copies of the approach the sound you know songs redone in the lyrics but there's also this really interesting thing that starts to happen as the subcultures emerge and transform japan has like a really interesting music scene uh, from the noise, uh, you know, uh, the noise scene and experimental scene, they're, they're like world famous for, for just being cutting edge for that and avant-garde. Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things that I think that's interesting to emerge now is that um, as K-pop gains like this global dominance and, and, and appreciation from a variety of people, Japan is kind of trying to find their place within being a foreign music that's more accessible right right and but it's also still so rock centric yeah that that i think we're going to see some really interesting music emerge from here it's it's interesting as well because like um with that kind of rock perspective um you know a lot a lot of the i'm not a big fan of a lot of the mainstream like japanese rock music you know your um like one okay rock type groups like it's n- never really been my thing um but like i had the good fortune to befriend uh this guy akira kani who is the bassist from the band the oral cigarettes which is a great band name uh yeah it's up there that's dope <laughs> and the oral cigarettes are like you know a pretty huge band and they've done like anime themes and they they've toured like all over the country like you know they're a big band um and like Akira, like, he, you know, he's very fashionable. He always wears, like, the latest brands. He's really into, like, um, you know, labels like MUF10 and, like, uh, Koshino Michiko, which, you know, they're, they're, like, pretty, like, they're very cool, like, you know, kind of street-oriented, but, like, they have that high-fashion thing going on. And he's, like, got, like, dyed blonde hair and stuff. And then, like, he, like, plays, like, um, he plays, like, upright bass in his spare time. And he's, like, you know... He's actually like a pretty like weird like out there dude, you know. He's definitely got that experimental edge, and he's a great bassist. He's you know very technically skilled, 
Um, and you wouldn't necessarily assume that from listening to the oral cigarettes who are doing, you know, anime theme songs. Um, and I think that's the one thing that really shines in Japan is that, like, one, the level of musical education here is very, very high. Uh, you know, people who play in even, like, less well-known bands, like, a lot of them are, like, really, really talented musicians. Um, and also just that, like, people who are, like, into the music out here tend to be very, like, open to whatever. And I really never got a lot of ego from people out here like you know a lot of the local musicians like a lot of them are quite happy you know even though akira has hundreds of thousands of fans probably millions he is quite happy when you know like a foreign dude like just starts talking to him about like you know the tokyo music scene or whatever um and that was something i really appreciated is that like it's pretty open and welcoming yeah i i've never um I, you know you hear you hear some of the stories about like feeling not welcome as a foreigner in certain you know certain parties and things like that but i've i've never encountered any like vibes while i was at a, a hip-hop event out here that made me feel like i wasn't supposed to be there if anything there was like you know there's there's you know there there might be reluctant to try to speak to me because they don't know if i can speak japanese or right right or, or whatever but but yeah man it, it's been cool and, and i've encountered like some cats who are just like what are you doing here like you played with ram lz you know what i mean in <laughs> death comic crew yeah. like like at the epicenter of hip-hop and punk you know emerging and you're just like this cool japanese guy who's like gonna play a dj set and hang out it's like you really should have like a red carpet oh I, I just feel like you know they should have like a halo above him or people should announce him when he comes in the room but no there's just like really incredible artistic people out here who are just fucking going to the conbini yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. So yeah, I I one of my first like music experiences in Tokyo uh, when I moved out here, uh, I went to this uh, this event in Koenji at this small club in Shin Koenji called Club Liner. And at Club Liner, um, this this guy um, Okada-san was was running this event. Older Japanese dude, and when I he he'd invited me to come along because he'd seen me like posting about like noise and improvised music and stuff like that and he hit me up and he was like yo like come through to to my little event and bring an instrument i'm like okay cool um so i come through to this event i've got my electric guitar with me and as i come in there's like a sign up sheet and it's just like write your name and what you do and i'm looking down the list and it's you know it's very much just like takashi saxophone yukiko poet you know um Koichi, dancer, and, you know, Shigeru, bass, like, whatever. So I, I write, you know, jet, electric guitar. Um, yeah. And I go I go sit down, you know, electric guitar slash vocals. I go sit down, and, like, Okada-san plays this, like, modular synthesizer set for maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then he gets up, and he pulls out the list, and he's just like, all right, Takeshi, Yukiko, jet, on stage, 10 minutes, go. <laughs> and i'm like i'm nervous as fuck like i'm i'm on stage just like shaking i'm like i've got my back to the audience i'm just kind of twiddling the amplifier like you know trying to get trying to get like a nice bit of reverb it's like an effect ramp and i'm just like you know just kind of twiddling with the amp and then like occasionally playing a few like licks or whatever and then after the set um okara-san comes up to me and he's just like jet if you can make love, you can improvise music. 
and he just walks away without saying anything else. <laughs> and it's like everybody there, you know, I was by far the youngest person there. Um, I, I also later learned that one of the dancers there who was absolutely incredible was like a famous Japanese porn star. Uh, which was kind of kind of wild because she was just there at this improvised music night. But um, you got a name for that? I, I was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm a, like a connoisseur of fine, you know. I I, I best I don't. But um, after airwaves, after yeah, yeah, after after <laughs> I'll bring it up. But like, um, it's like a lot of those people at that event were like masters, you know, yeah. like. I, there was a guy like tuning his bass on stage and you know when he's tuning like he's just playing through these scales like lightning fast to get everything like wow. tuned and set in order this guy's just you know tuning his bass and he's playing these scales lightning fast and he's very obviously like an excellent bassist and then he's got like you know 20 different pedals plugged in and then as soon as like his set starts you know there's a couple of other musicians in there and he just like immediately just starts going Wee! with his with his bass you know just just completely foregoing his own like level of musicianship just to like play you know and that was that was the thing it was so playful mm. um everyone was clearly just having fun it was not about like being the best musician or be who can play the fastest or you know who can who can turn their amp up to 11 it was very very much just like everyone was just there to enjoy themselves I've got to get out to more of those um, those places. Like, I guess, I guess, I, I mean, this year I haven't been going out to much, but uh, kind of hip hop events and more kind of my friends' events have dominated a lot of my my time when it is that I'm going out. But I have a, like a tremendous interest in experimental and a variety of other different genres too, too. Uh, jazz and 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 all of these genres have like these places where like spontaneous art just emerges and really talented and interesting people are there performing you know whatever they want to and I, d I just need to get out to those spots more man oh, for sure um i mean obviously as things currently are like things are a little more locked down they're not happening as much and you know usually it's kind of just like the guys who were regularly doing these things would just meet up and just do this you know four or five people um i've been invited to a couple of things since covid but I haven't really been to anything but yeah it's like you know a lot of these kind of events and stuff are definitely out there and i i've personally always found that i've been pretty welcome at all of them um i've never really felt like i was just kind of uh you know i'm a pretty generally i'm a pretty shy and reserved person um and i'm definitely one who likes to kind of stand in the back corner like with my hands in my pockets um, but every single time I've attended one of these things, you know, people have come up to me and they've just, you know, they've been curious about, you know, how I found this event and mm -hmm. what I was doing and, you know, if I'd like to join them. Um, yeah, it's, it's always been pretty inclusive and yeah, I've had a lot of good fortune in that respect coming out here. You also, uh, mentioned that you've got a new kind of endeavor happening here, um, with a partner, uh, was it, is her name Zuka? Zuka, yes. Yeah, can you tell me like a Tokyo Music Channel? Yes. Are uh, you are you allowed to divulge yeah, information yeah, yeah, about yeah. this? I'm yeah. I'm I'm good on that one. Um, I, I had a chat with them earlier. So at the moment, uh, I'm working on uh, TKY03 or Tokyo San, the Japan Music Channel, um, which yeah is a collaboration 
with uh, my good friend Zuka, who uh, is the lead singer of a band called Wild Stomp. Uh, she worked for Warner for a while. She uh, she worked for the NHK for a while. And again, it's you know these weird coincidences that um, I was like a big fan of this NHK World Show document, seventy two hours. And by complete chance, like Shizuka was like one of the directors on that show at the time. Um, but you know, we we got talking. She knew that I was very knowledgeable about. Japanese music and I was very interested and I was doing like modeling and acting and stuff like that and she was like yo I have this project uh, that I've been meaning to get off the ground where we're gonna do like a YouTube channel we're gonna interview Japanese bands maybe do video essays just you know pretty freeform but like anything related to Japanese music um, so obviously like I jumped at that you know I was sounds super dope as uh, totally like um, you know, it's it's all very very professional. Like our our setup at our old podcast was, you know, a little more like homegrown, very much like you know, three guys sitting around the table with beer and microphones, kind of kind, kind of like, like what we're doing yeah, right now. Kind of like this, um, yeah. We got we got like, tea and coffee and water because we're we're staying healthy out here. Hey. But um, yeah, it's like you know, now like suddenly I was working with you know some real professionals, and it really forced me to up my game in terms of my presentation and my radio voice and just how I was going about, uh, you know, doing this stuff and just being prepared. Um, so all in, all in Japanese? No, no, I mean, it's 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 going to be fully bilingual. Uh, anything that's in English will have Japanese subs and vice versa. Um, our first episode, which we're hoping to launch at the start of next year, um, we interviewed the band Lamp, who are... Uh, absolutely incredible um i don't even know what genre to assign them like they're you know kind of an indie but they're quite psychedelic folkish um three-piece band who have been around for about 20 years now uh they they've just celebrated their 20th anniversary as a band and um yeah um you know sort of talking to lamp and you know having like all the cameras and everything um you know, it was it was very like initially like quite daunting, but sounds incredible, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, there's a few people I I've been meaning to approach because I'm fortunate enough to be in the situation where I've like befriended so many great Japanese musicians, um, but some of them are pretty high profile and like I don't have any money or anything to offer, you know. So it's very yeah. much like I want to show them like, yo, I have this really high quality show. Um, this is what I'm doing. Are you interested in taking part? I think a lot of them are going to be really interesting, uh, interested in it because, especially with the bilingual aspect of it, there's such a, uh, a a rich and dense just culture of music out here that people might hear about them in the United States or in English-speaking countries, but they also just don't know anything about them because y they don't have English interviews or the right. interviews that they have are you know not subtitled for English and yeah and and. Um, yeah, that, that's really dope. Yeah, yeah I mean, a Lamp, for example, you know, they're a very well-known band, but they've right. never really done any kind of press outside of Japan mm -hmm. and very little in Japan as well. You know, they're all notoriously press shy as people. Um, so the fact that they, like, agreed to do yeah. the show for a start was very humbling, but also, um, you know, I think it, it pre presents a, a really interesting opportunity for a lot of these artists um, to, you know, because so many of them would love to play shows in the States or in the UK or wherever. Um, and 
you know, it's just a matter. You know, they have the skills mm -hmm. easily. You know, they have the talent. They have great songs. Um, maybe the lyrics aren't in English, but you know, I think people are open. You know, now to listen to things even if they can't understand yeah. the lyrics. Um, and it's just a matter of like getting the name out there and you know, showing who those people are. Right. So much of so much of like uh, music uh, is is more than the music now too. It's also that online presence and your ability to connect with your fans through various different social media platforms. And so just to give them that, d just have that extra, you know, point of reference for them is probably pretty cool. I'm I'm excited Absolutely. to see yeah, yeah. the artists that you get on there, like and personally like i've been a little frustrated with the way music like propagates recently i think like lately without naming any names like i keep hearing you know huge amounts of press buzz for certain artists and then it turns out like oh like you know their dad was like a higher up at lockheed martin and played golf with sure. jeffrey epstein or whatever yeah. and it's kind of like oh no wonder you have like so much press access yeah. um so it's quite, I think, you know, the idea, you know, the internet has to an extent democratized what people listen to musically. And I think, you know, we should, as people who love music and want to share music, you know, if you're a DJ or you, you're a podcaster or a producer or all three such as yourself, like we, we kind of have a responsibility to try and help share what we love mm -hmm. with the world. Um, and yeah, hopefully totally that's what agree. we're going to be doing. Yeah, totally agree. I, I, I actually will not go on a rant about various aspects of, of the way music <laughs> propagates. Would you, I, I'm sure people kind of, the, especially longtime listeners have a pretty good idea how I feel about the, that, that, that aspect of it. I, I would like to, to kind of, um, shift directions and talk more about your modeling experiences here because I've I've only met like one other model that's done like serious work and I've never had conversations with that person about what it's like to do a uh, model to be a model out here um, but before we shift gears can I go ahead and give you guys a little bit of a public service announcement first I want to let you know that all the beats in the background are brought to you uh, by our guy soul dope 95 who is a beat maker uh, producer from the Inland Empire. Uh, he's I consider him a good homie now. I use his music for about a month. I actually wasn't planning on playing his music today, but as we kind of just stumbled into it, I kept his playlist on. And uh, yeah, so I'll leave a link in the bio for you guys to check him out. Super dope, uh, variety of sounds. He doesn't fit neatly into any of these, you know, um, lo-fi playlist or you know boom bap playlist he's got a, a really great variety of sound in his production and he's just an interesting guy i did a quick phone interview with him a couple weeks back which i was a little bit sick for but you guys check that out anyways i think there's still some pretty uh pr good information there about our guy um also i want to let you guys know that that new run the jewels track that just dropped save uh, no save point which is for the new video game launching um, Cyberpunk 2077, which is coming out. That, that single, uh, the artwork was provided by our guy Mad Dog Jones, who was here in studio and just an incredible artist with an uh, interesting blend of photography uh, and photo editing to create these 
lands these kind of futuristic cyberpunk landscapes and uh, he's just an incredible guy puts a lot of work into his process he's uh, great friends with uh, a collective of people who are uh, making music in uh, Canada so go back and check out that episode if you like that's episode number 88 mad dog jones that one yeah man that's that's his art right there that that no save point have you guys heard that track are you guys interested in run I, the jewels no, I, I, i'm gonna save it now i'm gonna check it out it's it's um it's pretty fire i i like i like run the jewels but i i don't know i i, I really like killer mike's solo output and lp's solo output more than run the jewels something hasn't quite clicked with me yet like i enjoy it every time but i i i've never really listened to any of the albums more than once or twice hmm. uh, I um I like their music. You know, I've been a, a, a almost a lifelong fan of LP. I've been listening to Company Flow since the the late 90s and I followed his career trajectory. I'm a big fan of his. Less of a fan of Killer Mike, but I do like their combination. Uh but again, my favorite album is, you know, Run the Jewels 2 from them. I think mm-hmm. they perfected the formula and a lot of it is just formula now. But there is times where I want to go and listen to something unique and interesting and in, in their specific approach. And so I think, I think, yeah, like they haven't made every year that they've dropped an album since two has not made my top 10 albums of the year, but they remain uh, a group of artists that I support because Absolutely. also the authenticity, what they stand for, um, their approach to owning their art and not, I mean, they're maybe they're selling out to some degree. They're doing all these things, but man, it, it seems like they, you know, the integrity's still there, and that's that's important to me in an artist. And also, they can fucking rap, and LP's beats are just you can't copy them. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are uncanny. Uh, you you hear an LP beat, and it's like, oh, that's an LP beat. So hey, let me play a second from it. But it's it's um it's dope. Let me skip ahead some. Swine, you won't deny me my piece of pie. Let's just go back to some soul dope beats. Yeah, but that sounds kind of hard, right? Yeah, it's good music. It's good music. Yeah, but yeah, check the game. Say that again. You gonna get the game? Not immediately. I mean, it seems like the the game to get for next generation consoles, Cyberpunk 2027. Oh, it's not on PS4. It, it will is. be. It yep. will be. Virtually all the games that are coming out are going to be cross-gen right now, mm. which is a little bit, I guess, underwhelming. Like, you, you want that next-gen to be like, oh, I've got to buy an Xbox to play Gears of War. But, yeah. I, I would really like to play it, but I'm going to have to buy, like, a used copy or something. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard, like, you know, everything going on with CD Projekt Red, the the, 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 uh, the dev team who worked on it. Uh, and like nasty, some of the right? crunch like overtime work and stuff everybody's had to be involved with um you know i'm sure they've made a spectacular project but i also think uh you know you've got to vote with your wallet 
Um, oh, they're gonna overprice it to like a hundred bucks or something. I think I think what Jed is getting at that that some of their employment practices are a bit uh, exploitative and, and gross. So I mean, mm. how much you want to contribute to certain aspects of consumerism is mm. right. There's um, not much you can do uh, without appealing to authority other than voting with your wallet. And it's like a whole bunch of people are gonna get fired when that game comes out. You know, when that game drops, like. Uh, any time a major AAA blockbuster video game comes out, um, a huge amount of the dev team will get fired right. because they're like not needed at that exact moment for the next, you know, for the opening cycle of the next game or for the DLC support for the current game. Right. Um, and yeah, I you know I I think if you're someone who plays a lot of video games, which I have been and tend to be sometimes, um, you know, we should be conscious about like. How we can responsibly enjoy our hobbies yeah preach right. about that and and it works it works in a bit of a different way than the music industry because uh people that the products that you're getting the highest quality products that you're getting from uh, in the video game circle these triple a games are all dominated by you know a, a, a small variety of um you know uh, game developing companies so if if your game just got purchased by ea that means that you've basically been purchased by the machine and all of their kind of uh, underhanded and exploitative practices towards workers rights or even just exploitation and and um how they get goods manufactured are going to be coupled along with that and of course there's no real ethical consumption under late stage capitalism it still i think sits upon us to try to make decisions that err on the side of you know more our, our morals and our ethics so I, I very much you know there's a lot of music that i won't support for a variety of reasons authenticity maybe where it comes from maybe that person in general but with video games it's harder it's not like you can you, you can go indie you know and play right. indie games but that means that you're going to be playing like a really much less high quality version of a lot of the games you get in in most cases so. and and you know even when you have like a big product like cyberpunk or you know i don't know gta call of duty whatever like there's still so much incredible talent and you know really brilliant people involved in the creation of that game and like yeah maybe i'm not interested in filling the pockets of uh bobby kotick who's the ceo of activision uh or basically anybody in the upper management at ubisoft but that doesn't necessarily like erase all of the hard work and blood sweat and tears right. that goes into creating you know all of these works of art right, so right. yeah it's it's definitely a complicated like balancing yeah. act uh, i spent um a good amount of time yesterday discussing um call out culture and uh, actually i i won't i won't go into that it, i guess it's a good time to mention that if you're interested in more uh more of political hot takes from from myself about just about anything um you can catch all my marxist leninist uh <laughs> leftist hot takes on the this is not information podcast which we recently just start doing with um, historian Maurice Shelton, MC Polly Ryan. Shouts out to Maurice Shelton. Yeah, you know Maurice. That's my guy Shout now. Out. I just met him this year, but you know he and I are constantly building about these type of things. He's a uh, he's on the right side of history. 
and um, also Bernadette Benjamin. Uh, we started this podcast after Tracy Jones moved to the United States and just didn't really have time to um, cultivate uh, the Fire This Time podcast. So we just recorded the new episode on Tuesday, and that should be out, or the first episode on Tuesday, and that should be out soon. This is not information. Which, Steve, you remember that title. That was one of the titles yeah. that we were talking about naming this podcast. I saw that. I saw Maurice. He posted something on Facebook. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Where, where'd that name come yeah. from? <laughs> We've been talking about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we, we had a couple different names. Um, the Free Black Podcast. Um, it's, it's all black folks. You know, I'm the only one in there that is filling Negro. <laughs> so, so but, but yeah, you know, we talk about these things a lot. And, and we were discussing Dave Chappelle. Nice. And, and, you know, his track record of not being tangent like adjacent to um you know pc woke culture right now he's got a lot of homophobia and a lot of juvenile jokes about it and he's not changing his position anytime soon so mm. uh what are your thoughts on holding him accountable and how does call out culture and doxing um interplay with workers rights and yeah so get that mm. but but back to our guy uh jed axel Fucking, he might have the best name out of all the people, like real names. I'm trying to think of who else <laughs> might have the best name. It's a real name, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah so that's my government name. Hard. So I, I don't know. I have to look through the archives um, <laughs> to see. I mean, Ali Shahid Mohammed sounds pretty dope too. Pretty hard. He's doing podcast. Yeah. Shout out to Ali Shahid Mohammed. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I got it. I got a name drop. That's that's like my whole game here. Um, but <laughs> but to the modeling, man. How does the modeling happen? Were you just like handsome and? you know striking and people were like yo you should you should take pictures with these nice clothes on that's pretty much how it started <laughs> yeah um i had done a little bit of modeling in london um i yeah i, I was I, know, I was like walking down brick lane with my at the time girlfriend um and this scout from a pretty large agency like pulled me up and he was just like oh you're incredible oh you're so beautiful oh like you need to be a model you need to do all this stuff i was kind of like a little skeptical like i was kind of like uh, you know i've never really thought too hard about my own appearance um but i was like okay sure yeah you know i'll i'll, I'll hear you out so i went down to his office and like signed up with this agency did a couple of gigs with them but nothing major and i'd kind of forgotten about it uh came out to japan uh, on vacation for the first time in 2015 and like it happened like three or four times where I got stopped in the street by people mm. and they were like hey like you know I work for this company or you know I'm a stylist assistant or you know and those guys are just trying to get people through the mm. door into auditions like they don't they're not like really like industry people um, but then I was at a concert uh, I was at a concert in Shinjuku and it was the band's Zazen Boys, who are one of my all-time favorite bands, uh, maybe my all-time favorite, and uh, Gezan. You said Zazen? Zazen, yes. Like the meditation? Like the meditation meditative practice, practice, yes. Okay. Um, so Zazen Boys and Gezan, who at the time were relatively unknown, but now like they're everywhere. They're really, really huge. Uh, so I went to see these bands. And this photographer, uh, Shiori Ikeno, who uh, still is kind of one of the main photographers, if not the main photographer for Gezan, and she's also shot like Aimeon and Akko Gorilla and like a bunch of other like pretty, you know, 
well-known Japanese artists. Uh, and she pulled me up and she was like, hey, like I'm doing this shoot. Uh, I really like your look. Do you want to you wanna do something? Um, and like the lead singer of Gezan is also going to be coming along for this shoot. And I, I like Gezan, so I was just like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, spent the day with this crew of like very, very cool um, and very successful young like Japanese artists, DJs, musicians. Um, and, you know, that was kind of my first time where I actually like got to like hang out with people in Japan. Um, so that was, and, and, you know, doing that shoot, like that gave me some stuff in my portfolio and then also just a couple of connections here and there. Um, you know, people started, that was when I started actually putting like fashion, like pictures of myself on Instagram, which like drew attention uh, to me, you know, from certain other people. Um, and then coincidentally, uh, to, to bring things full circle, it turned out that Shiori, this photographer, went to school with the lead singer of Daljob Step Club, who was the guy that I had just run mm. into in Shimokitazawa. So they knew wow. each other. And then when I had like posted about it, she was like, oh yeah, you know Shingen? Yeah, I know Shingen. Like we went to school together. And <laughs> it was just like, That's you know, so again, strange law of attraction stuff that keeps happening in Tokyo. That's so interesting. I guess that's how I know that I'm not like mad handsome because they nobody ever been like, yo, you with the face, you, you, you need to be in a jacket. Hey, <laughs> on me a too, picture. man. Me too. Yeah. Well, we did get stopped that one time and we were yeah. on television yeah, that one time. But, but yeah, you do. You definitely kind of have a uh, like the model frame. You know, you're, you're kind yeah. of tall, slender. Um, your hair is really dope. W what's your ethnic background? Uh, my mother is French and my father is British Jamaican. Uh, and on my mother's side, like it's a it's a little complicated because nobody really knows where my grandma was from, mm. uh, including her. She she looks like probably like Arabic or Middle Eastern, but yeah, it's kind of a mystery as to where what my grandmother's ethnic origin is. Okay, I mean, s straight up. You know, black folks in the states got those same type of issues too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I asked because in the UK, you know, a lot of a lot of people from the UK they can kind of trace their lineage a little bit differently. A lot of them come, you know, their parents are immigrants from you know Ghana or Nigeria and a variety mm -hmm. of places, Jamaica even. Yes. So uh, yeah, I mean, you do have a, you look like a model. Like I, when I saw you, I was like, oh, that guy's like you know, model handsome. But you don't you don't uh, carry yourself like uh, like I would imagine like somebody that feels really pretty does. <laughs> and I don't know, if that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's a it's a strange thing f for me. And I, I have to admit, like, um, I kind of, I, I don't know. I think this is just the, you know, variety of, th of factors. But usually when I think of a model, you, you think of somebody who is, like, not all that interesting. Like, mm. they're, 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 their looks are the primary yeah, thing that right, brings yeah. them forward. I, I was just watching uh, The Queen's Gambit um, chess uh, mini series on oh, Netflix. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty pretty good. Um, side note: Keith Ledger was trying to develop that. Heath Ledger, Keith. Yeah, yeah Heath Ledger was trying to develop that film, uh, that show, that film before he died too. But really? it's great. But one of the interactions, like this, really kind of you know genius chess player, the 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 main star, the woman of the show, she has interactions with like a French model, and the French model is going on about. You know, like you've got something different going on. You're intelligent and beautiful, and all Thank of you. the people around me are just like, you know, like they're they're there for their beauty and they have no talent. But yeah, I, it, I guess all the models that I've heard about here in Tokyo that are foreign 
are kind of people who just kind of stumble into it. I think for the most part, yeah. Um, and like, I've never been particularly interested in fashion. Uh, it's never been something that I... Yeah, all, all the type of names in, in, in the clothing companies you're talking about, it's like, I have no idea what that is. Right, right. I know you from like the Uniqlo ad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know, I know Uniqlo. I got airism on right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think other than this band t-shirt, I'm, I'm all Uniqlo right now. But um, yeah, like, I mean, I never really thought that much about like my own appearance and how I kind of presented myself. Like I always had like very low self-confidence when I was younger, uh, you know, I was bullied in school. Like I, I really had it in my head that I was like ugly. Um, you know, people would always be like, oh, you know, Jet, he's with his big like long nose and like his, his big lips and, you know, his mm. weird hair and like all this stuff, like, you know, and for me, like, I, you know, you know, you, this stuff like hurts a lot when you're 15. Um, and, you know, being like a weird kid who didn't have many friends either, like it was very like, right. I became very insular as a result of that. And I think I still am an insular person as a result of that. Um, but suddenly, you know, when I was maybe 20, like, suddenly I started getting approached all the time for like modeling gigs mm. and shooting and stuff like that. And I, I don't really know what changed. Like I, I had made a bit of a conscious effort to like dress better because I didn't really care about clothes at all. Um, In the restroom? Yeah, sorry. Cool. You're all good. Um, like I would just, um, you know, I'd wear like freebie t-shirts that my dad got from right. work and stuff. You know, I grew up in a household without a lot of money, so... For me, it was always just like you wore what you had. Um, Maybe a band shirt here and there. Right, exactly. Um, and even then, it would be like a bootleg band shirt from the local market. You know, I, I definitely, when I was like nine, ten years old, wore my like Linkin Park t-shirt down to yeah. a knob. Like it was completely unwearable by the time I threw it away. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I never really gave it that much thought. Um, and I guess I never... So many of the like typical models that you meet you know the kind of people who, who seem very vapid and just all about their appearance and you know brands like very brand oriented mm. like a lot of those people you know they started when they were like 14 15 years old and they've been told that they were the shit that whole time and they've like traveled all around the world and pa been paid a lot of money to do this right um and I think, you know, there's definitely something to be said in terms of, like, colorism and proximity to whiteness and white privilege and how, you know, I've definitely worked with models out here and just thought, like, huh, like, you're, like, very, very successful, um, but, like, there's nothing particular about your image that, you know... I can see being like very appealing to uh, you know anyone, but for whatever reason, you know, it's kind of like, you know, this guy, ultimately, like, well, he's white and mm. he's got blonde hair, right? So especially out here in Asia, like, he's considered to be like outstandingly beautiful, right? Um, but yeah, I've never had that opportunity granted to me. So for me, like, yeah. modeling has always just kind of been like a fun thing I I can do on the side and make a bit of cash. Okay, so it's not like a. I mean, I see you on some. Like, if if you're, you know, you're on like, I mean, when I first met you, you were on a Uniqlo ad that I think was like in China, yeah, or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but I swear, I've, I I feel like I've seen you on ads here. 
as well like on like you know like passing through like shinagawa station or something like that i've seen you i've i've come up occasionally on like a few different things um you know and and sometimes i've been like huh like you know they they paid me like 300 400 dollars for this job and suddenly like i'm actually like a public figure like you can actually see me on stuff and then sometimes i've done a job for like you know a small company you know that isn't necessarily trying to like heavily promote the product on like an international like level and they paid me you know four or five times what i've been paid by major corporations so um you know for me admittedly like you know a part of it is just about the money for me like i can make some cash on the side i don't have to work super hard about it you know i'd rather not be working i mean i do i do have a nine to five job but you know, I can work, I can work less, I can work part-time and oh. I can occupy my time more with stuff that I'm interested in, like, you know, this Japanese music stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really great people in the fashion industry, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely not, like, dissing anybody. I think a lot of the models who are out here are pretty cool people, especially the people that just kind of fell into it. Um, but well, yeah. What was kind of, like, the coolest gig that you had or one that you were kind of, you know in awe of yourself just participating in something like that because uh so I, I saw on your facebook um page you had like a tdk ad where you're like playing like a, a like an electric piano or something oh yeah 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 is it tdk I, I, the, the tape company right i think or it was tdk yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you're like your head's thrown back i'm, and I'm like, like doing the stevie static, wonder yeah. like head waving like that looks cool as shit um, i feel like i saw that one too yeah that, where was, that was, where was that playing at I, it was like a still was photo a that i saw ad, like yeah. a still yeah um yeah i i, th I think the m I, I have two two jobs that immediately come to mind for like the coolest things i've worked on uh this time exactly one year ago actually like as of yesterday and like ongoing for like two three days i did a shoot for a tech startup called glafit uh that do like mobility scoot uh, like the the little like electric scooters mm -hmm. and like the like fold-up bicycles with the electric power assist uh and they're like street legal they've got indicators and like uh number plates and stuff you need a license to use them they're very quick but you know they're they're green and they um i went there they're based out in wakayama and i went out there for a few days and just like got paid a load of money to like ride scooters out in the mountains of wakayama and it was very That's beautiful tight. and everybody was super nice and we went to i had some really nice dinner after like and you know just doing that was kind of like oh this is something i could do happily for a living you know even if i was being paid like one third of what they had paid me for that job like just being able to like travel and just have a good time and get paid for it was like phenomenal and that was entirely trading on like right oh on. wow just because i'm like tall and have big hair um so that was that was a really amazing one and then also tall big hair privilege dog right <laughs> also like a year ago um i was in a music video for uh, Shinichi Osawa's project Rhyme SO with the vocalist Rhyme, who is from Australia, uh, fashion model, professional level ice skater, really amazing person. Wow. She's she's got this incredible charisma, and I think you know when people meet her, they just they want to, you know, she, she wanted to do this music video uh, where she's like ice skating, and she's ice skating with one of the drag queens from RuPaul, uh, Milk. Um, I've never watched RuPaul's Drag Race, but I had a lot of friends like, oh my god, you're in this video with Milk, this is incredible, like, wow. Um, 
So I did this music video with Rhyme and Shinichi, and I'd been a fan of Shinichi Osawa's work for, you know, at least a decade at this point. Um, you know, he's a legendary producer out here. So um, I went out there to do this video, and I, I met Rhyme pretty much immediately, and we had a little chat. And then I'd mentioned to her, like, actually, no, I, I've been a huge fan of Shinichi's work for a really long time. And she's like, oh, okay, well, let, let's go hang out. You know, she takes me into this other room and he's just chilling there and we just like talk music for a few hours. Uh, and then, you know, the video came out, the song Fashion Blogger by Rhyme S.O. Um, and Rhyme is like an ice skater and I'm one of the judges and I'm dressed very flamboyantly. It has that kind of, uh, uh, what is it? Um, it's that, 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 that series of books that has the, the Battle Royale like... Hunger Games. Hunger Games, yeah. Like, you know, there's like the, the villains in Hunger Games, like the super like bourgeois ruling class, you know, they're right. all like foppish and like very, um, mm -hmm. you know, dressed up and, you know, there's like pink feather boas and stuff like that. And I'm kind of all dressed up like that and I'm talking about how I'm a fashion blogger and everyone is a fashion blogger. Mm. Um, and that you sounds know, pretty interesting. That was, that was definitely a really fun job and, you know, getting to meet like some musicians they opened a lot of doors for me in terms of uh you know my music hobby as well so that was a really cool gig right on man uh Steve, you got any questions about modeling um well these gigs are you are you going through with through agencies or is it more from mm. the connections that you make uh it's probably about 50 50 at the moment um i still do agency gigs like when they come up i I really like working with some of the agencies and I really dislike working with others. Mm. So, you know, I've had a very, very mixed experience in Japan in terms of working with agencies. Mm. Um, and like, while I am not a fan of social media and like Instagram in general, like, you know, I, I have an incentive to post my work on Instagram and like promote myself a little because like sometimes, yeah, I get some really great opportunities um, just randomly, you know, in my DMs, hmm. um, like a, a label or someone will hit me up and like they will often pay very, very well, you know, for a day's shooting. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's always been a kind of 50-50 split of agency work and just like freelance stuff that people have hit me up for. Nice. I mean, it, it's nice to go straight to the client, you know, and not having to do deal with the middleman. Right, exactly. With the agency, because like how much did they take out of you know the whole pot right mm. yeah i mean they you know they definitely claim certain numbers and then you know you do a little bit of research and like uh, this can't be the amount of money they're actually taking you know they say oh you get 70 percent, we'll take 30 and then it's <laughs> like you you know i i did a gig where like i did like three days of shooting out in hong kong um which was also an incredible experience um and they paid me like 63,546 yen or something like like a very specific number. And I was like, hang on, let me do the math here. And when I like figured out how much the total amount was, you know, assuming that because they were like, oh, it's 70%, it's 70%. And I was like, well, when I actually figured out like the total like of what that would have been 70% of plus tax, I was like, there's no way the agency would have been like, oh, well, we'll give you, you know, 88,642 yen mm. total mm. like that's it was such a random number i was like no like they would have paid 90 or 100 mm -hmm. for that job and they definitely paid way more than that 
Um, so, you know, I got kind of screwed on that job. And that was a big part of like learning to be a bit more discerning with the agencies and who I'm actually willing to work with. Do you want to hate on anybody in particular? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't hear that, yeah. but I don't know if, if nah, you it's would, not though. necessary. But I, I mean, if you'd like, no, we'll we'll, uh, yeah. we'll keep it. It's in my past. Yeah. It's in the yeah, past. Okay. In but the past. what are yeah. what are some of the good agencies though that you would you know? Uh, yeah, sure. Show, um, show some respect to. So I, I would definitely show some respect to Freewave. They're definitely the most professional mm -hmm. and like business like agency out there. True. Uh, most of the managers are predominantly women, so there's like. I, I'd be and absolutely... The, owner, the owner's woman as well? The owner is a woman as well, Mitsumi-san. She's, like, incredible. Like, mm -hmm. I've, I've never, like, spoken to her, but, like, every time I've been in a room with her, I've been, like, massively intimidated. <laughs> um, you know, she's very beautiful, but she has that, like, perfect air about her. Mm -hmm. um, very beyond reproach. But, um, yeah, Freewave, uh, you know, like, the, the good thing with Freewave is, you know, you always hear, like, stories of like harassment among agencies and like people taking advantage of women uh models and you know mm. like promising work in exchange for sexual favors and stuff like that mm. and like that's Gross. never ever going to happen at freewave yeah you know big time and if if it were somehow to happen at freewave although that would never happen with any of the current managers there like they would come down really hard on that person there would mm -hmm. be consequences for that freewave have always been really professional they've mm. always been like completely real with me and they've always been you know they've always had my back so that's definitely an agency i appreciate um i'll give a shout out to awake management as awake. well okay uh, these Jun are these are agencies that you've also worked with yeah. steve yeah, okay. yeah. um yeah. jun who runs awake uh out in uh, aoyama uh he's always been very good when it came to like negotiating fees and stuff like that you know you work a minute of overtime on an awake job and like he's going to negotiate you some extra money uh, which I really appreciate um, because a lot of agencies, they'd probably negotiate the money and then just not increase your pay. Mm. Um, whereas Awake, like, yeah, they've always paid well. Jun's always been good to me as well. Um, so, yeah, those are definitely two agencies if you're interested in modeling out in Tokyo. I mean, I recommend Freewave to everyone. I think if you're a foreigner in Japan, you're interested in doing modeling or being an extra actor, you have any kind of talent, like, you should probably sign with Freewave because they will send stuff to you. I mean, and they pay the quickest, too. And they pay the, the quickest. <laughs> they pay the quickest. Like so a month good. later, shit. Right on, man. Well, shout out to them. Uh, shoot, I know, Steve, you got to get out of here, and you won't be around for the second part soon. But um, I, I would like to go ahead and wrap up here and then share some music for the part two. Uh, let's go ahead and do some social media drops. Where can we find uh, you, Steve? Uh, yeah, Instagram. Instagram, L-E-S-T-E-Z-E, Lestees, or I just opened up Sound Geeky as well. I don't know if you want to see any of my location sound joints, but you can hit me up at Sound Geeky. And uh, YouTube.com slash Steve Lefeve, S-T-E-V-E-L-E-F-E-V-E. -E -E -E. uh, I dropped some, whenever I feel like, I don't, you know, I made that documentary, so I'm going to drop it like in a month or, or something like that. And next time I make another video, it's going to be there. So hit me up there. Shout out to the Cocoa Bird. <laughs> yes, big Shout up Cocoa Bird. Hold tight, Cocoa Bird. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Instagram, JetAxel, J-E-T-A-X-E-L. Uh, all of my stuff is on my website, jetaxel.co.uk. Uh, we haven't launched yet, but please, uh, you know, if you're listening to this at some point in 2021, uh, check out... Uh, tky03.jp that will be uh the source of our 
my ongoing music project. Uh, it will be on YouTube as well, TKY03, Tokyo Sun. Uh, yeah, check me out. Give me a follow on Instagram. Uh, that's about the only social media I do. <laughs> Tight. And uh, part two, uh, Jed and I are going to talk about some music. We'll share some music and uh, maybe some a variety of other things, pop culture type of stuff that we like, things that we don't like. In the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys go out to a new track by our guy Marcus D, who most of you guys should know he's pretty famous in the beat scene. He's kind of the spiritual um, um, follow-up to Nujabi Sound. He works with the same guys, Substantial and um, Sistar. So here he goes, a new song that he just dropped uh, called Blinding Light with uh, Funky DL, Substantial, and here we go. So yeah, um, yeah, peace. Mega Late Show episode number 131. Peace out, y'all. I love it when the plan comes together with substantial endeavors And my man size is better than most of these other fellas We advance on a level, never dance with the devil Marcus got the beast to put you in the trance Cause he clever and he stands that we never gonna cancel The pleasure that we ransom whenever we are landing A Scorpio doing his thing, no need to sting We just jumped over all of your best players of king man Warp engines engaged cause we coming just to blaze We fasten the stage lights as we brighten up your space In case you didn't notice we the truest soul controllers Keep it beaming like the sun at the start of the summer solstice coming closer soak the energy knowing if it's meant to be you flowing cause it's flowing cause you witnessing the synergy substantial
substantial DL sites, the new trinity. But don't be killing us for your sins, but just remember, G. I go wherever love awaits, don't follow. The ways I hate and snakes in, I know. Just what it takes, the stakes is high, bro. You take the stage and make it our home. From London to the States, then Lagos. Tokyo, Cape Town, Morocco. We'll shine the night, and together we're a blinding light. So 